I'm Joel Parker. And I'm Ted Burnham. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, September 11th, 2012. Coming up, we'll talk with CU physics professor Uriel Nalmberg about the world of a tiny particle called the Higgs boson. So the big question that we are always answering is why all this excitement about the discovery that has been announced at the CERN Accelerator in Geneva, Switzerland. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. Long-term, rising temperatures are creating more pollution in Colorado's high mountain streams and rivers because they're making the craggy rocks in those areas release more hydrogen ions, sulfates, and metals into mountain streams. The phenomena of mineral release have always been common near mines, where it's called acid mine drainage. But this global warming acid draining is happening in undisturbed areas. Either way, the pollution it creates can kill fish and other stream life. It can also be a hazard for people. And the process is speeding up. That's according to researchers from the U.S. Geological Survey, the University of Colorado, and the EPA. These scientists have been studying long-term data about water chemistry and temperature in the alpine regions of north-central Colorado's Snake River drainage. In recent decades, as global climate change has turned up the heat on this high mountain region, the alpine streams have grown more acidic with larger concentrations of metals. The scientists report that even seemingly small changes in ground temperatures can cause large changes in the weathering of rocks and the stream pollution. They warn that some fish in this area may be pushed toward extinction by this new insult. The research was published last month in Environmental Science and Technology. This evening at 7 o'clock at the CU Museum of Natural History, Dr. Anthony Tu from Colorado State University is going to talk about sea snake and rattlesnake venom. He says that the U.S. Navy had an early interest in sea snakes. The Navy noticed that there are sea snakes in Vietnam. And when they are in, in, in the amphibian operation, the landing craft almost come to the shore, and the commander of the Navy told the people, Okay, now you jump from the <coughs> ship, walk to the beach. But then there are sea snake, and then uh, uh, nobody dare to to come out from a uh, uh, ship. Doctor Two's expertise and refrigerator full of antivenom has come in handy over the years. He's saved lives and investigated murder by snake and suicide by snake cases. Dr. Tu gave his collection of snakes to CU, and as a bonus before his lecture, CU's Dr. Marco Kageyama is going to take museum members on a tour of the collection. That's at 6 o'clock. The lecture will be in the Henderson Building at 15th Street and Broadway. And we're back in the time of year when you can attend the free Café Scientifique presentations in Denver and Boulder. The Café Scientifique idea started in England based on the French Café Philosophique. In the Café Scientifique, people, often, often science buffs, come together in a friendly pub after work and hear an informal 
usually meaning no PowerPoint, introduction to an interesting current science scientific topic led by an expert. After a short presentation, everyone takes a short break for refreshments to meet new people and chat, and then the speaker returns to the microphone for questions and answers and general discussion. All questions and comments are welcome. This isn't a seminar. It's a chance for everyone to express an opinion, expert or otherwise. The Denver Cafe began in November 2003, making it now the oldest in the Americas, and it's one of the largest in the world. Tonight's Denver Cafe takes place at the Wincoop Brewery at Lower Downtown Denver. It starts at 6.30, so come early so you can get a seat, and it goes until 8 p.m. As for the topic, tonight's free event will feature Dr. Robert Zubrin. Zubrin is an aerospace scientist who leads the Mars Society, an international organization dedicated to furthering space exploration. At tonight's Denver Cafe Sci, Zubrin will talk about his most recent book called Merchants of Despair, Radical Environmentalists, Criminal Pseudoscientists, and the Fatal Cult of Anti-Humanism. Zubrin will trace the origins of the idea that with the pollution and species extinctions and all the other havoc that people create, it means that human beings are a cancer upon the earth. Zubrin will make the case that perhaps we are really not. Find out more by going to tonight's Denver Cafe Scientifique. Tonight is also Boulder's Cafe Scientifique. The Boulder Cafe meets at the Outlook Hotel at 828th Street. That's the 28th Street Frontage Road, a bit north of Baseline Road. Refreshments at the Boulder Cafe begin at 5.30 p.m. and the talk starts at 6 p.m. Traditionally, the presenter at the Boulder Cafe will speak for about 15 to 25 minutes. Then there's a question and answer period that lasts till about 7 o'clock. The speaker usually stays around longer for individual discussion and questions with audience members. As for the topic of tonight's Boulder Cafe Scientifique, it features something very non-human, the elusive Higgs boson particle. We'll talk about that next here on How on Earth. You're listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Ted Burnham. The Higgs boson was in the news a lot this summer. Back in July, scientists at CERN, the European Organization for Nuclear Research, announced that they had detected evidence of the elusive subatomic particle. And just yesterday, the full results were published in two articles in the journal Physics Letters B. But just what is a Higgs boson, anyway? Why is it so important? And what new experiments, theories, and discoveries will this lead to? In other words, what is all the excitement about? Well, that's the topic of tonight's Boulder Cafe Scientifique, and it's also the topic for the rest of our show. CU physics professor Uriel Nauenberg will be doing his best to explain the Higgs boson at Cafe Sci tonight. And he's here with us now in our Boulder studio to give us a sneak peek. Uriel Nauenberg, welcome to How on Earth. Thank you. So... I have to admit, it's a little difficult to know where to begin when you're talking about this crazy world of subatomic particles, these incredibly tiny things and their, their strange behavior. How do you introduce people to the subject and sort of get them up to speed to understand what a, a Higgs boson really is? Um, the, the modern theory of elementary particles, which we uh, label the standard model, 
which has been tested now ad infinitum for 40 years, always agreeing with the, all the results agree with the theory, required the existence of such a particle uh, called the Higgs boson after Mr. Peter Higgs, who uh, presented the idea, but there were other uh, uh, scientists who uh, were at the same time uh, writing down the same uh, the same uh, uh, equations. Uh, it's very mysterious, uh, <laughs> but it works. Uh, the the uh, it has to deal, uh, as far as I understand it, which is not much. Uh, it has to deal with the Big Bang, and what happened after as the world began to expand and uh, began to cool down. Uh, what happened was that there was this field, which we now call the Higgs field, uh, which uh, developed a mass as the, uh, as the world began to expand and cool down. As you know now, our black body radiation is 3 degrees Kelvin or so. And, and so it's extremely cold. At the beginning of the Big Bang, it was extremely hot. And so there was a change in the environment that allowed for this particle to find a new location in what we call the potential uh, to, to uh, continue with its uh, elementary particle physics program. Uh, when you include this particle in the mix of all the other particles that we have discovered, which are members of the standard model, everything begins to make sense. Okay, so this is a particle that, that has been around since the very existence of the universe. Mm -hmm. Close to it, and then you had to cool down before. It existed, but it existed with no mass. Okay. And then it developed mass as the world began to cool down again, as far as I understand <laughs> it, which isn't much. I'm not sure if there's I'm anybody. Not sure anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who knows? It's hard to tell if anybody truly understands it yet. Um, the, Peter Higgs, the British physicist, he theorized that this particle existed as early as 1964. That why is correct. Why has it taken so long for, for us to find evidence of it? The first thing is we needed an accelerator that produced enough energy. And that's a particle accelerator? A particle accelerator to be able to collide particles and kick out this Higgs boson out of from its midst. The other problem is that the signal is extremely small. If you come to the uh, come to the Cafe Scientifique, I'll show you the plot that shows that in fact something is there, but you couldn't do that uh, before. It required the CERN accelerator. So you remember we had the superconducting supercollider being built, which when this was canceled in Texas, and. Uh, so we had to wait for the CERN accelerator to, to, to come to, uh, to fruition. And that's the famous Large Hadron Collider? That is correct. So uh, why do you need, um, you, you need this, this enormous, I mean, uh, describe the Hadron Collider quickly, because it's, it's, a, it's a gigantic piece of scientific equipment. Yes. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's a ring of about, uh, I would say, Five kilometers in radius, 27 kilometers in circumference. 
totally uh, made up of superconducting magnets. Uh, and uh, you begin, you put uh, protons in it, and you begin to accelerate it slowly as, as time goes on. And as you accelerate it, you increase the magnetic field. And when you reach the maximum that the magnetic field can withstand, you then collide these particles. And uh, what's happened is, of course, that we have now reached... Uh, close to three to four times the energy that the accelerator at Fermilab was able to achieve. So they were not able to see it, but this new accelerator at higher energies hit pay dirt. <laughs> pay dirt indeed. Um, there, were, uh, there, there were a lot of people working on, on this experiment. Um, I saw some of the, the papers that were published just yesterday. They have over 100 co-authors. Why do you need this? Over a thousand. Over a thousand. Yes. <laughs> there are two experiments, each one with about a thousand or two thousand people in it. Wow. So why do you need such a big team and such a big piece of equipment to analyze data from this teeny little particle? The analysis with computers is extremely complex. And it needs a lot of people looking at the whole process from the data, from the reactions being collected by the detector, the signals, to start collecting the signals to show you tracks of particles, and then connecting the tracks to show you what the energy balance is and what the mass of the particle producing these tracks is. And that requires uh, a large number of people to constantly be looking at the data and making sure that no mistakes are being done. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about this, this, um, th these results from, from the, the collider as a Higgs-like particle. A lot of people, they, they haven't said, well, it's definitely a Higgs boson, exactly what Peter Higgs predicted, the particle that gives everything its mass. But it, it's kind of like that. It might be that. We just don't know. W can you describe that uncertainty and, and okay, why there's, there's, there's... The first thing is... We have to now measure the properties of this signal. Uh, we know its mass. The mass is right. It comes out to about where we were predicting it would appear. But now we need to find out what the spin of that particle is. Spin is a word for the angular momentum, intrinsic angular momentum of the particle. Like the electron has a spin a half. The W boson has spin one. The Higgs boson is the only particle in the whole mix that has spin zero. And we have to check that, in fact, the object that is producing that signal has spin zero. And that requires looking at a lot of angular distributions uh, relative to the incoming beam. Uh, we uh, we have to look at the various uh, channels in which this particle is being produced. Uh, we see it in more than one one channel. The channel that is the clearest is where the Higgs decays into two photons, and we see the two photons, and we calculate the combined mass of the two photons. That's a jargon. Sorry about that. And uh, we see that it all appears at one location. There are other, the other channels that are occurring. 
And the combination of all these channels will tell you what the properties of these particles are. And then once we have that the property agrees with what we expect for the Higgs boson, then we feel more comfortable in claiming victory. So it sounds sort of like reverse engineering, that y you don't actually see the Higgs boson itself. Never you see all these, all these theoretically predicted uh, emissions and, and other particles flying around. And if it's just the right mix, then you know there was a, a boson, a particular boson that you were looking for uh, there to begin with. That is correct. I just want to remind our listeners that this is KGNU's science show, How on Earth. And we're talking with Uriel Nauenberg from the University of Colorado Boulder, a physics professor, about the Higgs boson. So the Higgs particle, it, it supposedly gives all these other subatomic particles their mass. What does it mean to, to give something its mass? I mean, isn't mass something that all particles have on their own? I think that's what most people would think. How do you give electric charge to the electron? That's a very good question. <laughs> so it's the same thing, that the electron is charged. the interaction is charged between the electron and the photon in the electromagnetic field has what we call a coupling constant, namely how strong do they interact. That coupling constant is the electric charge. We have the same thing for the weak interactions. We have a coupling constant between the particles that propagate the field and the particles that are weakly interacting. When they, they start breaking up in radioacti radioactive channels, right? There are lots of nuclei that just uh, radioactively decay. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a coupling constant. We have a coupling constant for the strong interactions. And we have a coupling constant uh, I guess that's it. And now there is the Higgs. So you have a, a Higgs We find field. out that the we have now uncovered that what we call mass is the coupling constant between the Higgs and all the particles that have mass. Okay. It's a <laughs> it's phenomenal it's, it's mystery. Very, yeah, it's, it's very, uh, very hard to imagine. But yeah, mass is not <laughs> an intrinsic property of these elementary particles. Now... You have to be careful. Mr. Einstein uh, will raise its hand, and he will say, ah, but I have shown you that the collision energies or the internal energies of nuclei can be equated to mass. So there are various components to mass when you talk about molecules and things like that. It's not all due to the Higgs. Okay. Only the mass of the elementary particles are associated with the Higgs, not the mass of the combined system. Mm -hmm. What is this discovery uh, going to, to add to the field of particle physics? I've, I've heard you mention uh, supersymmetry before we, we came on the air this morning, um, and, and that's a theory that you're particularly interested in. Where do we go next now that we've... we've hopefully found something like the Higgs, if not the Higgs itself. Yes. The spin zero makes the property of the Higgs very special. Uh, if you calculate uh, something that is known radiative corrections to the interaction between the Higgs and these elementary particles, uh, we find out that for a spin zero particle, the radiative corrections are infinite. 
which is untenable. I mean, as, as you approach the scale of the uh, Big Bang, the mass becomes infinite because the mass is energy dependent and it increases with the, with the square of the collision energy. And that's very mysterious, okay? So you can't do that. You, you can't have infinite mass. You cannot have infinite mass yeah. even at the beginning of the How universe, right? <laughs> so what we do is we introduce another particle into the calculation of the radiative corrections where the infinity appears with a negative sign. So they cancel. So it balances out. It balances out. And these other particles that we're talking about are what we call supersymmetric particles. And have we ever found a supersymmetric particle? Not yet. No. Not, not yet. No. We know that they have to be much heavier than the mass of the present particles. And now you say, how do you know that it's a heavier? Essentially, we don't. We surmise because we haven't seen them yet. And we believe that they have to be there, so we say... We have to wait till we have more energy to produce them. Mm -hmm. So we're sort of in the same position that Peter Higgs was in back in 1964. We, we can do the calculations and say, it looks like there are these particles, but we're going to have to crank up the energy on these, these collider experiments, like yes. the Large Hadron Collider, in order to find them? Yes. How long do you think it'll be before uh, we're, we're able to, to crank up that energy? Uh, the, we hear rumors that the... CERN accelerator will be able to crank up its energy and to be able to produce this, the particles. Just rumors? There are also <laughs> rumors around that we want to build a, a uh, high-energy electron-positron collider like the one that occurred at the Stanford Linear Accelerator. We'll have to see how this all shakes out. There will be meetings now all over the place to try to unravel the various details to see what works and what doesn't. And I'm sure it'll take a lot of time and uh, a lot of energy, a lot of money to, to make that happen. Uh, well, Uriel Nauenberg, thank you so much for joining us this morning. This is a fascinating topic. Uh, Uriel Nauenberg is a emeritus professor of physics at the University of Colorado, and he'll be talking tonight about the Higgs boson at Cafe Scientifique at the Outlook Hotel in Boulder. If you'd like to hear more, it's a free event, and it begins at 5.30. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Susan Moran. This week's show was produced by Shelley Schlender and engineered by Jim Pullen, who also wrote some of this week's headlines. Thanks, Jim. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music today from The Chieftains. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Comments or questions, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Ted Burnham. And I'm Joel Parker.